This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Uh, we're going to introduce you, David, a person who needs no introduction, maybe, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, so, uh, David Chadwick, who is currently living in Bali, <laughs> um, is the author, of course, of Crooked Cucumber, um, but also of Thank You and OK, an American Zen Failure in Japan, published in 1994, uh, which chronicles his years in Japan. Uh, David's actually a native of Texas, of Fort Worth, um, although I don't think he's been back in Texas for quite a while, except to see us maybe. Um, I hope he'll come again. Um, and after various adventures uh, in his early life, um, began practicing with Suzuki Roshi in 1966 and was ordained as a priest by Suzuki Roshi in 1971, just before uh, he died, Suzuki Roshi died, and then continued his Zen studies with Richard Baker and right now, up till right now, um, if you're interested in his full bio, you can look at uh, his website, cuke.com, which is really now the gateway to his life's work. Uh, not only Crooked Cucumber, but just an archive, an ever-growing archive of uh, San Francisco Zen Center memories, um, photographs, and complete uh, lectures and recordings and videos of Suzuki Roshi. Uh, it's, it's an amazing maze, wonderful <laughs> maze of, of material, which I'm constantly uh, dipping into, um, and is currently now doing podcasts. Um, told me yesterday that he has just recorded a lengthy uh, interview with Ed Brown, who was with us uh, recently, and that will go up, I think, today. Um, so uh, he's really kind of spent recent years, recent decades, preserving the, the legacy of Suzuki Roshi and sharing it with very freely, uh, completely open-handedly with uh, the entire world. And cuke.com is, uh, is the way to start exploring this online if you haven't done so already. So um, thank you, David, for your, for your work and for being here with us and um, for everything. Well, hi, hi, great. This is Nate. Um, this is my first Zoom experience like this. I, I heard uh, a Richard Baker talk, but the, the video wasn't working. So it was really different. I, but uh, I liked that because I made dinner and ate it and cleaned it up while I was listening to it because the video wasn't working. But I mean, that was great. I came in. I mean, you know, I came in early and people were sitting, so I just sat with you briefly. This is neat. Great to see you. Um, so, um, you know, I prepared nothing for this. Um, I think we have plenty in common. Uh, and uh, that was a good introduction. You've done your homework. Um, there's uh, another thing is... Um, on the podcast, I'm reading uh, Crooked Cucumber uh, every Tuesday. Uh, this coming Tuesday, Chapter 5 will go up, and I'm doing a chapter a week uh, with comments. And some of the comment uh, audio is longer than the chapter I'm reading because I, I get into tangents, you know. It's not like writing. It's just like really undisciplined. It's just say anything that occurs to me. Um, but uh, 
you, you might find some of the comments uh, interesting. Um, and, and I keep finding errata, which is interesting. And uh, uh, on the podcast also on, uh, I'm doing six a week now. And, and the way I can get away with that is I'm doing mini podcasts where I just read an, a, a vignette from Zen is right here, uh, teaching stories and anecdotes of Shunyu Suzuki. Uh, and um, uh, the, that, you know, and then I'm, I make a little comment afterwards, but they'll be between two and four and a half minutes. Um, and I just finished a, um, uh, a sequel to it that's going to come out hardback with it next year as a set. And I've suggested they call it Zen is Right Now. That's why Zen is right here, Zen is right now. And um, anyway, uh, so uh, since you're studying Suzuki Roshi uh, and I'm doing the podcast, uh, and it's so time consuming, uh, that's really uh, what's on my my mind right now is is that book. Oh, hey, one thing I noticed you had a noon sitting, right? Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, uh, I, I've said, I always try to sit with any group where I am, uh, you know, uh, and every once in a while I'll be somewhere when they have a noon sitting and that's really a, a nice thing to offer uh, people in town especially be able to go for a noon sitting. Uh, so, um, you know, what, I, what I'd like is for somebody to ask a question, because I can just take off on anything. Uh, you know, I don't have anything in particular in mind, uh, but um, why didn't somebody ask something? Uh, hi, David. It's Gregory. Gregory. Hi. Uh, Gregory is an old friend of mine, very old friend. Well, it's nice to see you. I'm, I'm amazed at this work. This is the first time I've used the Zoom on my iPad. And Carol and I in Tucson have been just recently doing once a week with friends in Boise uh, a movie. We pick a movie and then we watch, we all watch it and then we get together on Zoom and then we discuss it. And it's really turned out to be quite stimulating. Last week we watched uh, Thelma. Wait, Luke wait, Gregory, Gregory, unfair. Yeah. You got to ask me a question. Uh, yeah, I'm about to ask you a question. All right, all right. So, <laughs> hang in there. Hang in there. So, uh, in any case, um, why don't you talk a little bit about your uh, experience with uh, uh, any Buddhist community that you might be in touch with in, in uh, Sonur or Bali, where you are? If oh, yeah, I certainly can do that. Yeah. Um, thank you. Good question. Excellent. Um, uh, what What... You know, I was looking for somebody to sit with here in uh, Bali. I, I sit alone, and I really don't feel any great need to uh, sit with a group. Uh, I, I like sitting in the morning when I get up. I do walking meditation first. 
And uh, one reason I do that, which I was never really into uh, Keenan or that, that, I mean, it was all right, you know, but it, it wasn't something I, I uh, did, you know, it, like I would just sit, you know, but the thing is that what's available here is Vipassana. Uh, Vipassana retreats led by Buddhist monks. So at, uh, uh, there's a temple up north that was founded by uh, a, a really great uh, Balinese uh, monk who, uh, he was a married man, and when he got older, he decided uh, to become a monk. And so uh, his, was interesting, his wife, he had a wife, but his wife didn't want him to become a Hindu monk, which is, you know, the thing here. And the, the Hinduism here uh, is, I call it voodoo Hindu. Yeah, you know, they're really into offerings to spirits and stuff. That's what they're really into. But that's true in Japan, too, you know. What they're really into is Shinto. Uh, animism's big. Uh, but... But uh, so he, his wife wanted him to become a Buddhist monk so that uh, he wouldn't be running around, you know, because the Hindus, uh, the, 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 the Buddhism that's available here is Theravadan, so they're pretty strict. So she thought if he's going to become a monk, he should become a Theravadan monk. And uh, there's a lot, a lot of Chinese in Indonesia, and I've never associated with Chinese with, uh, you know, Theravadan Buddhism. But uh, they're the big supporters of it here. And there's other types of uh, Buddhism too. But in terms of stuff practicing, uh, there, there's, uh, there's a temple over in Seminyak where they have Vipassana meditation too, a Buddhist temple. And Kadrinka and I got married by a Buddhist priest here. Uh, so um, I've done about five Vipassana retreats up north at Brahma Vihara Arama. And I really like the Vipassana retreats. They're long, and they're they're uh, they're they're very strict. You know, it's an hour of sitting and an hour of walking, just all day long. And um, I really got into the walking. So what I do here now every morning is I start off walking. When I really liked the chant you did at the end of the session, I'd like to get a recording of that. Uh, or if it's online with you all chanting it, I can take it off. Um, and I, I always start off with, may all beings be happy. Uh, but I don't like the end there. And may all beings be happy is very, very big here. Uh, but not only with Buddhists, but with Hindus too. Samoga, Samoa, Hiduk, Barbagia. My landlord, he's Hindu. He'll come over and we'll say that to each other. Uh, and he gave us a Buddha, a Buddha he grew up with. And we built a little, well, we didn't build it. We had somebody build a little altar for him. You know, just out of scrap wood. Uh, but the uh, Bhante Giri, when he founded the Buddhist temple up north, the Dalai Lama came. It was a big thing. And Bhante Giri is really uh, revered here. Uh, he... Um, uh, 
And, and, and there's a guy who studied with him who's a healer named Murta Adam. And I do retreats with him too. And he does Bali Usada, and Usada means like healing. And all meditation here that isn't this strict Theravadan is always associated with healing. If you see meditation here, it's, some medita- it's always healing. If it's, if it's a local Balinese thing, and it isn't um, straight out of uh, Orthodox Buddhism. Uh, and uh, the last retreat I did was with a woman, uh, Santini. I'm a, I'm a Santini. Uh, she's a bhikkhuni. And, uh, uh, you know, she went against uh, the... Uh, she went against the uh, patriarchal system and uh, uh, started her own uh, order. And uh, she, boy, did she do a strict retreat. It was 12 days, 3.30 in the morning till 10 at night, and uh, no breaks, no laundry, no yoga. They all say no yoga. I do a little yoga anyway, just because it's good for me to move my body so. Also, they're not real authoritarian, so, you know, nobody's going to pay that much attention. But she had the rooms locked, so people couldn't go lie down. And I never lie down during a session or a uh, retreat. It's just, it's better, it's be, you know, the, the, the more you just stick with it, the easier it is. And... Uh, but uh, it's really it's, it's really fun, funny because I'll be like the oldest or the next oldest. There only there won't be many older people like me, right? And there are all these young, healthy people coming. But you know, a lot a lot of the, the, there all, there will always be a, like a dozen experienced people or so. But there'll be like sixty people. Well, there'll be all these young people that that heard oh meditation in bali how beautiful right they'd have no idea what they're getting into (laughs) and they'll be groaning and and, you know just anything (laughs) to get get out of it and and it's sort of fun to watch (laughs) and uh, (laughs) um and and, uh, but wow i've seen some local people sitting there's a woman who's a dentist here she'd sit like three hours without moving she was really inspiring. Uh, and she's the daughter-in-law of Bhante Giri. She married this son. Uh, and uh, uh, and I, I've made several really good friends there. Another doctor, a woman up, up north, uh, who's, who does a lot of these retreats. So anyway, I really like them. They're very simple and straightforward. Uh, and... And they've been really uh, good for me. The the other retreat is um, Bali Usada. It's a lot easier. And I, I I don't know if I I'm 75. I don't know if I want to do another one of those long Vipassana retreats. The Bali Usada retreats are easy easier. They have a, like well, there's three different levels. And uh, but like the first level, it's 45 minutes sitting. And then you have 15 minutes off every hour. I wouldn't take it. I just do walking uh, meditation right outside the hall. But it, it's a better community more together uh, than, than the Vipassana 
retreats, which tend to be people from all over the world coming just for that, with a visiting uh, Burmese uh, teacher, usually. The woman I was with is Indonesian. Uh, but uh, Mert Daada, uh, he, he's, a, he's a psychic. He's, he'll, uh, every, everybody will go see him for a minute and he'll scan you and tell you if he sees any problem. And, and uh, his healing technique, is just, he says he doesn't heal anybody. They heal themselves. Uh, it's basically just breathing. Just whatever's bothering you, just breathe into it. And he, he uh, chants Anicca. Uh, you know, um, which is like what impermanent, everything changes. Uh, and um, but his his uh, retreats, they have too much talking, too much video. Uh, and he explains a lot. I sort of ignore a lot of it and just sit there. Anyway, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, uh, that's been really good. I, I also, I, I go to Hindu ceremonies, I get water poured over my head uh, in purifying ceremony. Did you go with me to one, Gregory? Yeah, you did. Uh, and um, I, I must, can I, can I interject? Say yeah. something? I still think about it. It was the most disgusting water I've ever been in in my life. I'm, I'm just amazed that since I've gotten home, I don't have giant worms crawling out of my ears. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know. It's sort of scary because we're right by the mangrove and you go into the mangrove water and submerge. Yes. Did you, you know, I just see you. Did oh. you do that? Could you? I didn't do oh. anything. Oh. Well, does uh, anybody else have a question about anything? Yeah, yes, David, there's a question that came in on the chat. Uh, if you're not, you can please mute yourselves, otherwise we get... So Tracy, I'm muting you because there's a static noise coming. Um, there is a question that came in on the chat from Melanie. She asks, have you had trouble, uh, have you had troubles sticking, sticking with it at various times in terms of practicing? Also, what kind of walking exactly is it that you do? I don't do slow walking. You know, um, they do pretty, we do pretty slow walking at Brahma Vihara Rama, and they have lanes set up. One, one great thing about, I just want to tell you this, about the retreats there, they're, they're um, it's really different. Like, you can walk anywhere. You, you, you know, you don't have, it's not necessarily everybody together. And we tend, we have an every uh, retreat, but we tend to have the men and women in different uh, buildings. But there, there's this big plane uh, with these aisles of uh, sort of like cement uh, paths uh, on a big grassy field that's in front of uh, a beautiful, uh, it's a replica of Borobudur, which is in Java, is the biggest uh, Buddhist uh, ar ar archaeological site in the world. And it has all those, like, um, those, well, what are they like? They're like Vajras upside down all over it. And that's the, uh, that's the Dharma Hall there. Anyway, we'll walk, and, and we'll walk pretty slow. And I've learned all sorts of walking things, like, 
where you, you know, you put your foot down. Well, let's see, I do this. You put your foot down and I, you know, I can't even remember because I don't do it anymore. But you concentrate. They'll be like, when you really get into it, they'll have like six different steps on just each foot going down, what you're paying attention to. And um, so I did all that. I went through various types of uh, walking practices. But now what do I do? I walk pretty fast. Uh, we have a thing called a bale, which is uh, like a stage. We, you know, with, with it doesn't have walls. With, it was, you know, one, it, it's got pillars. And uh, it's traditional in a Balinese home. And it's big enough where I can walk, I walk a circle eight in it. And I'll walk for, you know, like in the morning for about, you know, 20, 30 minutes in there and I'll chant. But one thing that sort of gave me permission to do that after all the slow walking I'd done is one retreat, everybody's walking real slow. And then the, the, the Bante, the, the, the monk who was leading it, I see him, him over there and he's walking like, like sort of strutting back and forth you know and so that's sort of what i sort of what i do um now hey i'm not answering your question you asked oh do i have any trouble not not at this point in my life no i i i try not to sit some mornings like sunday mornings i think well i won't do it you know on sunday mornings but it's really hard for me not to do the walking meditation for one thing i think i'd like to get up and move you know and I like doing that first. The Rimzine Temple I was at in Japan, we had mornings, we had the, the morning service first. We would go to the Zendo, uh, get there at four. It wasn't the Zendo, that was like the, what did they call it? Uh, oh, I can't remember. Was it, did they call it the Hato maybe? Uh, it was Sogenji in Okayama. Uh, big, beautiful hall. Uh, and uh, we'd go chant for an hour, and it was really, you know, really very vigorous. And we had an earthquake one morning, right, right when we were chanting, and the whole room was shaking. So you get the feeling like we're really into our chanting so much, we're making the room shake. Uh, and, uh, but I've certainly had times in my life where uh, I wasn't sitting, or, you know, I'd always go back to it. Yeah, I've gotten into some pretty low places and crazy places and different things. Nothing I really regret much. Uh, and, um, but uh, I, and I'm, I'm more concentrated now. Uh, I'm, I'm very busy. And when Katrinka goes, she goes to, I don't, I don't go to, back to America. I don't know if I ever will. Uh, it's okay if I do, but it's expensive and I don't want to drive and it's really big, you know. Here we just live in this tiny world, really. You know, we just walk to the beach, we can walk to little stores. And I walk down this street, I walk our dog down today, coming back, and I talk to my day who has this little vegetable fruit stand. And I got some tofu from her on the way back. And she forced me into buying a couple of bags of peanut stuff because she said she didn't have enough money to pay for the stuff she needs for a ceremony. See, that's more important than food. <laughs> and again, that's, that's, 
they're, they're Hindus, but with all the ceremonies, it's just animistic stuff, you know? And there's, there's altars everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Every home, every shop, every car. And, and they use the same word for a little tiny shrine that they do for a big temple, Pura. And, uh, uh, and what are they offering? They're, they're offering the spirits, you know? They have, they're, they're, they'll tell you, you know, uh, Krishna, uh, Brahma, uh, uh, Vishnu, and Shiva, and all that. They'll talk about it, but it's really intellectual, you know. And then they'll all say, yes, but there's only one God. Why? Because it's a Muslim country. And, uh, you know, the Buddhists and the Hindus, in order to be accepted, is one of the official accepted religions here. And I think they're like seven or some six, seven. Uh, and you have to be one of them. Uh, when you, when you fill out an official government stuff, you have to be one of them. And if you're married, you have to both be the same. Uh, and, uh, uh, but that's not what they're into. What, the, what they're into is the spirits and the ceremonies. And, and their, their dances, which they're very famous for, are based on the Mahabharata. But as far as I'm concerned, Mahabharata is, is uh, it's just, mythic stories, you know, it's it, the, the Upanishads is where the heavy stuff is in Hinduism. And the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita, they're just, to me, they're just like literature and myth. So, um, well, I guess that, uh, so in, in, in terms of, um, do I have any trouble doing it? I, I, I don't really. But the, the, the important thing is to keep have some sort of practice that you continue with all day, you know. Uh, it, 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 it shouldn't be serious, really. It should just be, it should be nothing, basically. <laughs> uh, you know, not, not anything you think about or you think it was important or something, it's just something you do. Uh, who is that guy? Adam Thupton, is that his name, in Point Richmond? He's a Tibetan teacher. He's really great. If you're in the Bay Area, go here on Thupton on Sundays in Point Richmond in an old church. He gave a talk. I think I just mentioned it in the podcast. Uh, he gave a talk where he talked about uh, Mind the Gap, that thing in England, you know. Uh, what do they call the, the, the subways? The in the, huh? In England. What? Tube? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I can't remember. But, you know, there's a little space between the platform and going in it. And, there, and so we always hear these recordings going, mind the gap, mind the gap. And he talked about meditating in the gaps just all day long. Any chance you get, just automatically just, you know, um, just being yourself you know, returning to your breath, whatever. It's, it's uh, you know, nothing forced. Uh, I'd say thank you a lot. I'd say thank you all day long. Uh, and, uh, you know, a friend of mine said, said uh, you know, who can't think outside of the uh, sort of dualistic traditions, uh, said, who are you saying thank you to? I said, uh, really, there's, the, the object is unknown. <laughs> it's a mystery. Um, it's like 
in Japan, you have Okage Samade. They say that, which means like, thank heavens, or thanks to the forces that be, or whatever it is. Uh, you know, you'll be talking, what, you know, we, we'd say something like that. What do we say? Thank heavens, or, or thank goodness, or something. And they would, they'll put that in Okage Samade. Uh, and I mean, every little thing that happens to me all day long, I say thank you. Uh, I even say thank you to things I don't want to happen. Uh, and I've had that practice for decades. Uh, and uh, I don't know where I got it from. Uh, well, one person I got it from, I, I got it from various sources. You know, you get it from uh, Jodo Shinshu, being any sort of other power stuff. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, I was very close with a very great uh, old psychic. And uh, I told him that I like doing that, but, but he might have told me first. I knew him for years. I met him the same year I met Suzuki Roshi. Fred Kimball in LA. He, he was pretty famous. He was famous for reading animals. He'd do it on the radio. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but he, he'd say, he'd say, uh, all right, um, you know, you should, you, he said, you should be saying thank you to your higher power. And say, you know, you know, he'd say, you know, you don't want to bring, you want to bring yourself things that you want. And when we have one thing he'd do, he was a sort of psychic psychoanalyst and analyst. He'd, he'd look at, he'd look at a person and immediately uh, look for whatever they're doing that's harming them. Uh, if they're following any old uh attachments or ideas that are embedded in their subconscious that are self-destructive or anything like that. And it was very helpful. And he'd just say, just redirect that command, you know, and uh, say, you know, I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. I want to have a good love life. Uh, I want to have money, whatever you want and say, thank you and say, thank you for what, for what has come my way. And thank you for more. Uh, and so he really impressed that on me. So he's one of the, the sources there. So David, there's a couple other questions that have come in through the chat. Please, please. Um, from Larry um, Beckman, uh, Beckham. He says, I live in a wheelchair. Do people yeah. do a rolling meditation? How does that work? Well, you're the expert on that. Yeah, you, you can't ask, I'd have to ask you about that. Uh, you don't have to move, uh, you don't have to, you know, I don't know what it's like to be you, but you will know what's the right type of meditation for, for you. You'll naturally gravitate to it, uh, but nobody, can, I mean, maybe other people in wheelchairs can, uh, but uh you know, meditation is just being yourself. It, it's, uh, it's, you know, what we want to do is not be enslaved to the thought stream. We want, 
very unlikely you're going to stop the thought stream from happening. What was it? I was just here. What was it? This guy that studied with Neem Curly Baba. Uh, he said uh, that Baba said, well, you're going to keep secreting thoughts. I thought, wow, sort of creepy. Uh, uh, but, and, and uh, Ajashadi says this too. He says, well, the thoughts keep coming, but you're, you're, you're not, you're not focused on them, you know. Uh, so not being enslaved to the thought stream is is key, but you know, don't don't waste any time trying to stop from thinking. Uh, just let it keep going, and don't let things bother you that you think. Don't be disturbed by bad thoughts. Um, I have bad thoughts, and you know, one of the worst thoughts I have, I go. That's Michael Corleone mind. <laughs> you know who that is? Right? He just wiped out all, anybody that was in his way, he just had him knocked off. Uh, <laughs> uh, so so uh, Larry responds and says, meditation is being yourself. I love that. Um, yeah. And now listen, that's straight Suzuki Roshi, Larry. Uh, and... You know, just like I'm telling you what my teacher told me, he's telling us what his teachers told him. And, uh, you know, that's what transmission is. It goes back, you know, forever. Uh, sort of carrying the ball forward, passing it on. All, very imperfect people. Don't look for perfect teachers. Good Lord, perfect, you know. Inspirations. There's only one Buddha, and that's you. <laughs> uh, we have a question from Tracy. Tracy, do you want to unmute yourself? Hello, David. Nice to meet you face to face. Oh yeah. Hi. Hey. Thanks Hi. for all you've done. Oh yeah. Over yeah. It's been some years, and it's only now and then. But you're so welcome, and I hope I have time to make some time for other things that I might do for com someday. Oh, great. I've got an endless amount of help I need. You have an endless amount of work or an endless amount of help? Uh, I have an endless amount of work. Yeah. Uh, and um, I can use an endless amount of help. I thought but it's that hard. It's hard. You know, I've, I've had many people. I've, listen, I've had so many people help me. I mean, hundreds. Some of them a whole lot. Peter Ford is like, I call him my associate. He's been working with me, you know, yeah. like constantly, every day. Uh, major work. Some other people have just come in and done a little something, all sorts of stuff. I can't, I can't keep up with it, but, you know, it's never enough. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I, I'm one of those little somethings now and then kind of guy, but I'll, I'll, uh -huh. I'll, I'll, you'll hear from me again along those lines. And hey, I, I also just wanted to appreciate a couple of things right now. One is the the teachings you've offered just so so casually, you know, just just now. Uh, mind the gap. That's a great one. And the thank you. That's another great one because talk about number of opportunities for both of those things between sessions, as it were. Uh, Wow, that, that, and what you said about the psychic, you know, heal yourself, breathe into, his, his teaching was you heal yourself, you know, you breathe into everything. That was what Blanche was teaching me all those years too. She was doing this, uh -huh. she had me breathing into everything, 
Well, I mean, everything. <laughs> uh -huh. But hey, um, David, the, the, the main, not the main, it, you know, since my, my excitement is just to you know, meet you face to face at this moment is, well, I guess I'll just ask you a, a standard question. Um, kind of like meeting, you know, Phil Collins of Genesis and saying, who are your, who is your greatest influence? You know, and he was all oh, the Beatles, which he did, by the way, to me once. Uh, it was, uh, uh, -huh. uh your, are fondest, no, no I'm not going to say fondest, whatever memory you might choose of a personal interaction you had with Suzuki Roshi that stands out for you, or would you be so kind? Well, I can just pick the first thing that came to mind because I don't don't really uh, grade them but what came to my mind right then was um, I had I had I I, 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 I I spent a lot of time with him I was very lucky lucky and one reason is that I'm not shy and uh, I'm, I'm aggressive so you know people would would uh, would selflessly wait for the opportunity to speak to him. And, 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 and he really did, he, he, you were lucky to have a, one doksan a year with him. And people would, would forfeit it for others and stuff. But I just go over to his cabin and bother him, you know? So uh, I had a lot of experience and I drove him a, a, a good deal. Uh, and, and, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you two, two, two things that occur to me right now. One time we were driving uh, back to San Francisco from Tassajara, and uh, I had this old Volvo, and we're coming down. We're, 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 we're you know, just is it between Salinas and Monterey, or just after Monterey? I think it's. It's in that area. We go through a grove of trees. The, I think the road is divided, or what? This is a long time ago. This is 60, you know, eight or nine. And you go way down, and then you come up, and there's a little road going off, and there is a service station down there at the bottom. And on my way down, the car died. It just died. And so, good Lord, how lucky, huh? Uh, so I coasted right into that service station. And so uh, there was a guy there, uh, there was no mechanic on duty. He said, the, the mechanic here, he lives in that uh, home up there, up the road, you can see it up there at the top of the hill there. He said, I don't know if I'd advise you to go see him. He's a, he's a violent guy and uh, he, he just got out of jail for beating up his wife. And, you know, he's, um, you know, he, he had some bad experiences in the Korean War. And, and uh, he doesn't like Asians. And I don't know if, if you all, uh, I don't think he might not take to this guy. And I said, where's the house? We'll, we'll go check him out. So we walked up there and knocked on the door. And he opened it, and but we, we couldn't really see him very well through the screen. And I just said, uh, you know, I, I just told him what was happening and that the car wasn't working. 
And he opened the door and he looked at Suzuki and he was a tough looking guy. Uh, and he invited us in. And we spent about an hour talking to him, uh, both of us, and he served us tea and he became like a nervous little child. <laughs> I can't remember what was said, but he sort of would like asking Suzuki Roshi how to be a good person or something like that, you know? It was like very touching. Um, and he came down and, you know, and did something with the car, I don't remember, and we were off. And uh, I can't remember about payment. I wouldn't be surprised if he said that's all right. Uh, uh, anyway, it was very, very touching to see I, 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 you know, I, 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 only, I, I mean, grew up around a certain number of dangerous people in Texas, uh, and uh, I, I, I can, I can deal pretty well with, with that sort of crowd. What you do is you keep a low profile, don't mouth off, show respect, don't be condescending, uh, and uh, same with police. Yeah. But you, you know, seem to be suggesting that Suzuki Roshi had some effect on him, that he was given that, that, that introduction that you had to the guy and toward it. Yeah. And then, you know, he's like this other person looking at, at him almost like a teacher. Whatever, oh, yeah. Whatever, whatever uh, prejudice he had against Asians, immediately he was not holding against Suzuki. Huh. Uh, and um, uh, I just remember it being very touching. All right, now that's one. That's one type of of uh, experience there. Here's another one, uh, and this might be in a sense. Well, no, I don't need to just say that. I was with him in the cabin, and this was before I got ordained as what we call a priest. And he he showed me how to use the zagu, you know, he showed me how to fold it and how to bow. He spent about 20 minutes with me on it. And that was very touching and very, uh, that was, uh, I knew it was a really special moment. And there's not much I can say about it, but that, uh, yeah. We have a question from Rich Graf. Hi, Rich. Rich, do you want to speak or do you want me to read your question? Uh, well, you can read it if you want. Well, ah, there you are. You read it. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I just wanted to say thank you, uh, sir, for your book. It's really wonderful. And um, we've been reading it. Uh, and um, uh, our, our, one of our resident, our, our director, Tim Kroll, recommended it and I'm really grateful to him for doing that and and I'm grateful to you Mako for having David Chadwick come and speak to us um, but I had a question about the book I'm just amazed at the at the quality of the writing and the the way you s wove together the the excerpts from Suzuki Roshi's teachings and the episodes of his life and I was just curious like how did you do that how did you put together those uh, bits of his talks with the periods of his life. And how did you do that? How did you connect all that? I want to do the same thing. I'm reading it now, you know. I go, wow, I can't write like this now. 
uh, and and I, and I wonder, wow, where did I get? You know, I say, who told me that? Uh, you know, like I was just reading uh, something. I think, oh, Uchiyama, his sister Aiko's husband. I I talk about what he said, and I think, oh yeah, I met him. So it's. I'm almost looking at it like you are, because uh, I haven't gone back and read it. I, I deal with it sometimes. But I tell you, I just put a lot of work into it. I worked on it five years. And I was very focused on it. And I would read, I read through all of his lectures several times while I was doing that. And I would do things, I would, I would read another book, say, like I read James Hillman's book on biography. I'm not a good reader, I'm not a fast reader. Uh, but I just focused on it and uh, I took a lot more time than the publisher wanted. They had to redo the contract while I was doing it. Uh, and um, some of the words I use in phrasing, I go, wow, uh, I w I w that wouldn't even occur to me now. Uh, I, you know, when you're writers, generally do their best work when they're younger. Uh, and when they get older, it gets more simple. And um, uh, <laughs> I don't, anyway, I wish I could tell you, I don't, I don't know where it came from. But well, I'll tell you one thing, though. Uh, I did not do it alone. I would write, all right, I'll tell you the process I went through that. I, I would write a, 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 a chapter, or I would write a, it wasn't really a chapter, I would write something. And then I would give it to my wife then, Elin, who's from Houston, Elin Schweikart. Uh, and she's a really good reader. And uh, she's really smart. And she would usually not like it. And she would even get angry. And she would tell me what was wrong with it. And, I and sometimes she'd just say, this is hopeless. They, they just throw this out. And I go, no, no, just go over with me what you don't like about it. And we do that. And then I'd keep working on it till she said, oh, well, this is all right. all right. This is all right. Then I would give it to Michael Katz, my agent. I call him the co-conspirator of Cuke Archives. Uh, he, he, I'm really a product of Michael Katz. He, he was a very successful agent, many, many people. You know, Thomas Moore and Ed Brown and uh, Stephen Mitchell and Byron Katie and uh, Jack, Jack Cornfield and on and on and on. Uh, and, um, he said, hey, your letters from Japan are really good. He said, um, uh, they can be a book. He called me up. They can be a book. Just keep writing it. And I, I said, well, he said, you need a computer. I said, well, I, 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 I can't buy a computer. He said, I'll buy you one. Um, and he sent me a typing tutor. I, I knew how to type early. He said, get to where you can type in the dark. And then he said, um, uh, all right, and just Right, whatever you write. And he said, I guarantee you I'll get you a book contract. And he got one with Penguin. And so <laughs> I, 
I'm really lucky to have him as one of my best friends. And what did Crooked Cucumber come out of? Well, I'd written this stuff in, in Thank You and Okay that had a certain, I had a number of, of stories and this and that about Suzuki and I just took almost all of them out and thought, well, I needed to do another book. Uh, well, maybe I'll do one on Suzuki, you know? I mean, that's how I started really just got, I should follow this up with something else. And, but I've always been really fanatic when I get into things and collecting things. And uh, so I just went from there. But listen, after Michael, then uh, G. Show Kerry Warner was an editor. Uh, Tygen Dan Layton uh, was a reader and uh, was sort of like scholarly um, uh, checks. And he, I have an interview with, a phone chat, I'll call it, with him going up a week from this, a week from today. Uh, it's pretty long, pretty good. And so, uh, and then Linda Hess, uh, professor at Stanford, is married to Kaz Tanahashi. She was an incredible editor. Uh, the, the, she was a, a line editor. She would, she would just relate to the paragraph. She'd take every paragraph and reduce it. You know, so a lot of the writing in there is because I was a good team player. Uh, and I listened to what people had to say. And people would vote on chapters and stuff like that. We did that with Thank You and Okay. We did it with Crooked Cucumber. Anyway, that's my answer to your question. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, David. We have a question from Bill Harnew. Bill, do you want to ask your question or shall I ask it for you? Bill, I want to see you ask your question. Hello. Hey. Can you hear me? Yeah. Very good. Um, do you recall the story of the dragon? Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about, the true dragon. Yes, um, it's one of my favorite parts of your book. And I wondered if you could uh, reprise it. I'm happy to read it if you like, but uh, if you could reprise it and just give me your reaction. And I think the group would like to hear about it. Again, it's one of my favorites. Oh, really? Um, I didn't, you know, uh, I haven't gotten to that point yet. And I, I had no idea. If you'd have asked me, did I write anything about a dragon in the book, Crooked Cucumber? I would have said, no, I don't think so. Uh, so you'd have to refresh my memory. Okay, so here it is. It's, do you know the story of the true dragon? In ancient China, there was a person who liked dragons very much. He talked about dragons to his friends and he painted dragons and he bought various kinds of dragon sculptures. Then a dragon said to himself, if a real dragon like me visited him, he would be very happy. One day, the real dragon sneaked into the room. The man didn't know what to do. Ah! He could not uh, run away. He could not even stand up. Ah! For a long, long time, we have been like him. That should never be our attitude. We should not just be a fan of dragons. We should also, we should always be the dragon himself. Then we will not be afraid of dragons. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, I remember it now that you read it. That's great. Um, 
Well, that's a very classic story. Dogen talked about it. And uh, uh, Dogen said the paper dragon is also the real dragon. You know, a Dogen would just turn everything on its head and upside down and around. Uh, but it's very true uh, that uh, that one of one one of the great uh, obstacles to practice is that we don't really want to see the true dragon, that we have resistance to it. That, you know, there's that old phrase you uh, hear in Christianity, uh, and, and, and people would say, do you fear God? I fear God, right? And I always thought, wow, that's, um, I mean, I, 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 think, I think we do fear God, but I don't think it's something you, you, you want to do. I think it's pointless. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just natural. It's just natural to, uh, you know, uh, you know the the uh, term original sin, in that is uh, used in Christianity that that uh, so so many people balk at and just think it's a horrible idea. All it means is that that uh, we're born not knowing who we are. Uh, and not knowing what's happening. And that is a universal. Uh, so we're, we're all in the same boat with that. So uh, however that came about, whether it's something with our own karma that we created or whatever, it is something we all share. And breaking uh, through that and defining out who we are, uh, the only obstacle is ourselves. Uh, not really wanting to, just wanting to beat around the bush. Uh, but thanks for reminding me of that, and and I look forward to getting to it. <laughs> you know, it's gonna it's gonna take me until the uh, into October, just reading a a chapter a week. Thank you. Yeah. Now, I have a question here. Uh, you know, I could probably keep talking all night. It was very enjoyable for me. But um, there's a, I, I would imagine we've gone beyond the normal time limit. I don't know. I, I, I haven't paid any attention to time. Uh, so you tell me, Mako, <laughs> when. Well, Strangely enough, our, our Dharma talks, since we've shifted to being online, have um, have tended to run longer than normal. Uh, so normal, I guess, is what, maybe 40 minutes, 45 minutes? And they've gone sometimes an hour and a half. <laughs> um, Fine with me, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's getting late your time, though, right? It's uh, almost... Oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> Don't worry about that. That doesn't matter at all. I'm uh, these podcasts have completely disrupted my normal mm. uh, my, my my normal clock. Uh, 
And I've been staying up till two and three, which I have not done since I was, you know, I have decades regularly. But um, it's just very demanding. And I have all these other things I do, you know. And it, a lot of times I can't even get to working on the podcast till later in, in the after four in the afternoon. Mm. So anyway, enough of that. Uh, so, hey, Pat Vingett to everyone, please don't go play. And that's like a song. Please don't go. <laughs> oh. Chara um, wants to wants to share something. So I think she's going to yeah. share her screen briefly. Uh, yeah. Can you I'm just going to hold it up to the camera, actually. Oh, okay. I'm going to do that. Um, I don't know how many people know this. This is a, a little book called Remembering the Dragon. Speaking of dragons, and it's, um, I don't know if it's still available. It was published in May of 2004. Um, it's Memories of, of Suzuki Roshi on the 100th anniversary of his birth. It was published by um, <clears throat> San Francisco Zen Center. You probably can't see this, um, but I'll hold it up if I, maybe you can, I'll turn on a light. Up a little bit, up a little bit, Joro. Up. Hold up, up, more up. Can you see the top of the page? Yes. There's this, I'll keep going. Maybe it's going to be too fuzzy, but. No, totally. It's totally clear on my side. Okay. So it's exactly the story that Bill wanted to ask about, the story of the dragon. And this is a little drawing that Suzuki Roshi made himself of a dragon in his diary on his way to the United States. That's right. Which I love. I've always loved this little drawing. It's this smiling sort of humanish face, a little stick legs like a centipede. Um, and the dragon winding off, and he's, he's got this mischievous grin. Um, so the dragon story has real power for Suzuki Roshi. Yeah, that, that's something. That, um, incidentally, I have, uh, I have uh, Remembering the Dragon on Cute.com, the whole book. Uh, and uh, I also have the entire book that that... Uh, that squiggle came, that dragon picture came out of, that's there, including all the blank pages. Uh, and uh, uh, there's more to that page. You, you know, but, but, but that book, you think, oh, what's in it? Well, he already put anything in it. He just did a few th things on his way over. He wrote, what, one thing, uh, Sufi Sam's name is in it. You know, he was starting off, He's like one of these people that starts off when they start going the first day of school, they have all their notebooks all filled out, ready, it's all perfect, then they don't do anything after that. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, and that, um, I include that in uh, the Zen is Right Now, whatever it'll be called, Book of Vignettes, that's one of the graphics I put in there. And that book was done for the Sati Foundation a Zen Center uh, conference at Stanford uh, on uh, Suzuki Roshi in 1998, I think. Uh, and um, it was a big deal. Carl Bielfeldt and Gil Fronsdell and Michael Wenger uh, put it on it. And uh, it, was, it was really great. Uh, and I think Gil Fronsdale sort of put it together. He mainly it just comes from other stuff that already existed. Uh, now th there's um, 
some stuff in it. Like there's one quote of Suzuki Roshi in it that is too over edited and I, I won't use it. it, it I, I can see where it all came from. But anyway, I like the book. It's, it's really neat. And like I said, you can read the whole thing on geek.com. Remembering the dragon. There's Somebody a asked, are there any beliefs I hold on, held on to through the years? Who, who, can I see you? Or, or not? That's me, Melanie. Oh, oh, hi. Hi. I asked another question earlier. Since nobody was asking a question, I just barged on in your cabin. Are you, right, right. Well, um, are there any beliefs I've held on to? I'll tell you right now, the first thing that occurs to me is um, that uh, belief is uh, is like uh, you got to be very careful with belief. Uh, Actually, the question is, is any that you held on to over the years that you let go of or radically shifted from? Well, um, uh, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, but the, the, the main thing is uh, realizing that belief itself, uh, beliefs uh, have to be uh, held on to lightly, and uh, uh, belief is like the first door, as what I saw in a Tibetan thing. And uh, any, if you want to, I was just talking with, like on a podcast about this. If you want to ascend higher, you've got to leave your beliefs behind. Uh, but sure, there's tons of them. I can't, I don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, belief is best for relative things, you know. Uh, and, and it's sort of, um, Ten, like Suzuki Roshi would say, tentatively we say so and so. That's what a belief is. Um, belief, faith, and I talked with Tigan about faith. Uh, 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 Tigan said that word confidence is better. Well, that's what Suzuki Roshi said too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's that's all he's at. I don't, I don't know what I believe. I, I like Suzuki Roshi's take on it, and I feel very much the same. He'd say, I don't believe anything, but uh, I don't trust. He'd say, I don't trust anything but my two feet on the board. And he would say that he didn't believe that much. He'd say, well, do you, you want to say I'm a Buddhist? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to say I'm a Buddhist, but... Uh, he said, you know, even saying Buddhist is already a dirty word. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I don't think he said dirty word, but that's something like that. Um, Pat? So Dave, oh, okay, David, hi, I'm Pat. Uh, hi. I'm enjoying, your, I'm enjoying your talk so much, so I, so, so I said, please don't go. <laughs> Oh, yeah. um, I have a favorite story from of Suzuki Roshi that I heard through you, through one of your books. I think it was the book of the short little anecdotes. I can't remember the name of it. Zen but is right Zen, here. 
Yeah, okay, then that's what I thought. Um, the, the story about the uh, woman who went to Sishin and she was somebody's wife, she wasn't really a practitioner, and she talked to Suzuki about the second or third day and said, I, I don't want to be here anymore, I, I want to go, is that all right? And he said, it's all right, but there's no place to go. And I guess the older I've gotten, the more I just, you know, I really understand that. <laughs> I wonder what you, what that, I don't know, I wanted any comments no. you yeah, I definitely have something to say about that. That's one of the early, that's one of the ones I've already read. I think I've, I've just read the first seven for the mini podcast. Uh, and that was Fran Tribe, uh, who, who was married to Al Tribe. Uh, and she died, oh, I don't know how long ago Fran died, maybe 15 years ago. I don't know, very sad. Uh, but she, you know, she said, well, I just came here Without, they were there at the first practice period, 67, which is the, the only one we had in the summer. She said, I just came here to be with my husband. And, uh, you know, she wouldn't. And she said, I, I can't. Oh, it was a session. She, yeah. she entered into the session. She came there just to be with her husband. And then she finds herself in this session. She said, I can't do this. You know, I think I should leave. And he said, you can go, but. Really, there's no place to go. Uh, and Fran uh, stayed. And, you know, that, that sort of turned her, or that was a turning point for her. And uh, then Al uh, went on to become a, uh, a priest in uh, Vimla Sangha, Lou Richmond's. Uh, and he died a few years ago. And... I say all this on the, the mini podcast. And the last time I saw him, he was having dinner at the Panama Hotel in San Rafael where Katrinka was sort of like the co-manager. And I just went up and said hello to them and uh, didn't want to bother them. He was having, they were having dinner with Al's very famous brother, Lawrence Tribe, the um, uh, constitutional law expert. Now, what, what, what that reminds me of is um, that, that I could have brought up then, but I didn't, is uh, what Suzuki Roshi said to Richard Baker. Richard would say, and that might be in one of those books too. Incidentally, Zen is Right Here was originally called To Shine One Corner of the World Moments with Shunya Suzuki. And it was a Broadway book that they published right after Crooked Cucumber. But it didn't do that well. That's my fault because I was having a love affair and my my first marriage was over and uh, I didn't put enough attention into promoting the book and uh, because um, because I was having going through a period of insanity at the time. Uh, but anyway. Uh, uh, so, so Richard was saying to him, uh, you know, long ago, like early 60s, well, what should I do? Should I go to Japan? Should I, you know, or, you know, and, and Suzuki Roshi said to him, he said, Dick, you, you can do anything you want, but really there's nowhere to go and there's nothing to do. And so that became like a mantra that Dick would say to himself, there's nowhere to go, there's nothing to do. And I use that 
you know, because uh, uh, when I find myself getting too wound up in what I'm doing, you know, it's good to get to the place where it's absolutely not important. It's just something I'm doing. It's kind of what COVID-19 is teaching us all now. <laughs> there isn't any place to go. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's locked down here too. We got we to gotta wear a mask when we go out. You have to cap a mask if you're out all at all times. Oh, they enforce it. Do they enforce it? Oh, yeah. They, it, it's not like America here. Uh, not all these uh, people protesting the government. They just don't pay attention to it, uh, except, you know, something like that. Uh, who wants to cause trouble by not doing it? They can. I've seen people not wearing masks when they should, when they're sort of out of sight. I, I was walking by a, a Bali, uh, I mean, a... Uh, 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 Banjar, uh, uh, a community meeting place, and uh, there was like 15 young people sitting around in a circle. You couldn't see them from the street. I walked in a little way and took a look. I was walking my dog, and none of them had masks on. They're all sitting right shoulder to shoulder each other in a circle. But when they get up to leave, they'll put their masks on to go out. Yeah, everybody. And uh, businesses, a lot of most. Many, many places are open, but they have very strict rules about how close to get. I mean, the government does what they can. They've closed the beaches, which is fairly pointless uh, because there's no tourists. There's no, no tourists, no Indonesian tourists either. Uh, and that's the, there's more Indonesian tourists here than even others. And that's 85% of the economy. So without tourists, this place is suffering much more than any other place I can think of, but they're being very strict. Uh, Katrinka can't get back because there just aren't any flights in. She has a resident visa, she can come in, but there's nothing to come in on. Anyway, uh, nothing, there's nowhere to go, nothing to do. Yes, I, I use that as a, a mantra. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know, another mantra I use, I know it's not really a mantra, but I'll hear, uh, when I get caught up in thinking some, some string of thought, and you, you know, not, the, the, the mind doesn't know the difference between, uh, or it can easily get into the state where it does not know the difference between what one is imagining and what is happening in uh, what we call, uh, you know, in waking life. So there'll be some strange thought going along, and I'll see myself getting caught in it, and I'll just go, shut up. So, I mean, I, I say shut up now, and I say thank you a lot more. <laughs> Are there any other questions or comments um, 
anyone would like to make. If there is, please uh, go ahead and mute, unmute yourself. Can I ask another question? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, I'm in reading Crooked Cucumber. I was struck at the episodes during World War II in Japan and, and how hard it was. And uh, uh, Suzuki Roshi's response to it. Uh, and then when he came to the United States, what he encountered in the United States in the, in the, the countercultural movements at the time, anti-war protests and things like that. And I, I was just wondering, how was that for him? Do you know? I mean, do you, do you get a sense of what it was like for him to be uh, sort of a pacifist in the midst of that movement? And did he talk about it very much? I wouldn't call him a pacifist. Um, um, you know, in the original Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind introduction, Richard Baker wrote that he led a pacifist group in Japan, and it's completely untrue. However, you know, we would say things like that. Uh, I mean, he was sort of a pacifist, but he wasn't, uh, you know, he was more like a Taoist, you know, and they said, they said, if you don't want war, just hide the weapons, let things calm down, you know, but don't make too big deal out of it this way or that way. Just let things calm down and get centered and know yourself and there will be peace. Uh, um, I, our interpretation of, of who he was and how he related to war and peace and all that back there was entirely colored by who we were and how we related to it. Uh, I was at a uh, an event for Suzuki Roshi at the Zen Center. It was done with uh, UC uh, Berkeley, in which a very senior person stood up and talked about how in, the, in the World War II he stood out with a sign, uh, some pacifist sign, and I hated to do it, but. Uh, and and I don't, you know, I knew I could only say one or two things the whole day. Uh, and I said, that did not happen. Uh, now, if you read the book, it shows you what did happen. It's very impressive. But they're not Americans. Um, and and I, I really point out the difference in that chapter, and this did happen, where I'm, I'm taking him over to Berkeley, to the Berkeley Zendo for Zazen and this and that. And then we go, uh, we go to have lunch somewhere. And I'd always try to keep him out, take him somewhere, you know, going. And, and he enjoyed that because, you know, his whole life was just like duty and, and, uh, and, and we're, so we're by Sproul Hall and this truck goes by and this is like, you know, I don't know when. Uh, uh, I was usually at Tassahara back then, but so sometime in the 60s, this truck goes by with a loudspeaker blaring out, you know, really calling for the violent overthrow of the U.S. government. <laughs> I mean, that did not happen in Japan. That is so foreign. There was no free speech. There was no, 
There was, you could not, they, what they did was very subtle compared to what we did. And I talked to him about it, uh, but that shows, that show, the sorts of things we were doing were in your face, loud. And what, what they were doing, and, and I had, you know, I, I, I show it in Crooked Cucumber because I talked to people who were there. They said there was nothing like it, like Rinsoim. They said it was like a, uh, uh, like a, a shining light in the midst of the darkness that people would go there and could freely talk and share ideas within the, they knew what, you know, they know what's permissible. Japanese don't even like to say no. They don't, you don't disagree with people. You don't say no when they're talking. You say yes and also so-and-so, right? Well, when you've got this, this, uh, uh, this you know, totalitarian, militaristic government in charge, you can imagine that what they were talking about was not, uh, what they would talk about is, is how, how Japan can, can gracefully get out of the war and they wanted Japan to do well, you know, they didn't want Japan to lose the war, they just wanted it to come to it to a peaceful end and uh, there was a guy named Nishi Nakama who was really sort of the, the ringleader of it and he could say more than other people because his father was like one of the heads of the secret police in Tokyo and he had a salon in Kyoto and he was like the Dick Baker of the salon that Suzuki had at Rinsoin. And what people would tell me that, that Suzuki wouldn't say much. He would sit there and allow it all to happen. Sort of like Andy Warhol, who was the, sort of like they said, was the zero in the middle of all this creative activity. But Suzuki did tell me that before the war, that he printed up like leaflets talking about how Japan would be healthier and stronger if it did not get into too much militarism and that he handed them out to people at his uh, temple. Uh, I wish I had a copy of one of those. But you made so much progress, honey, in here. Thank you very much. Yeah. That the stuff about the war in that book is really unique. You don't read it much. It shows, it shows another side. It shows people who are terribly depressed and distressed about what's happening. And like his, his, his closest friend, uh, Kato, uh, uh, who, who was very controversial so that the Secret Service, what do they call him? The, I can't remember the name of them. The, the, you know, the like the CIA type, whatever, Secret Service. Uh, they had somebody outside his home at all time. And, but he was very involved with the government in getting people to go to Manchuria. And he got Suzuki Roshi to Manchuria. And he wrote, wrote a book on the Edda, the Japanese untouchables. He was a very unusual progressive person. I think I'm not on and uh, 
they thought they were doing something progressive in Manchuria. Uh, the Chinese did not appreciate it, uh, but they didn't realize that. But Americans don't really, you know, I hear Americans put down everything Japan did, and they did a lot of terrible things. But America, to me, is uh, just has a history of war. Well, um, we seem to have lost David. Um, um, perhaps he will, he will reconnect. But maybe I'll take this opportunity to just encourage people to check out cuke.com. If you haven't been on the site, it's chock full of resources, as David has, um, has mentioned. And I know he can definitely use donations and support, as he also mentioned earlier.